Raider Church, what is up, man? We are so glad you guys are with us tonight. I mean, the bad news is spring break is over. The good news is you get to hang out with us tonight, right? That's like the one silver lining, maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. Whatever, you're here, so it doesn't matter, right? So uh, we're, we're starting a, a new two-week series tonight, and it's actually a continuation of something that I started at the end of last semester um, that I shared with our uh, church that, that's for uh, adults and, and young couples and families that meets on Wednesday night. So you guys haven't seen that. And so I would encourage you uh, to go to the website at the city lbk.church if you want to, to, to watch it. But I'm going to do my best to recap it for you as we kind of continue in, in this journey. And it's something that I've been uh, going through the last year. It's a, a book I've been reading. It's called The Cure. And man, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's meant so much. It's hard to overstate it. This last year, I've been kind of slowly going through this, and it really is changing my life in some subtle ways and some just huge ways when it comes to my relationship with people and most of all with, with God. And so I hope as I share some of these truths with you, it, it's uh, true for you as well. But in, in the book, The Cure, it kind of takes a metaphorical look. It's very creative how they set it up at a guy and his relationship with God. And he's on this, this path, right? This pathway to God. And he, in the pathway, he comes to this fork in the road and he's got to make a decision. And the, the first road is called pleasing God. And he, he thinks, you know, as Christians, we should all want to please God, right? So he takes this path. It takes him to the room of good intentions. And in the room of good intentions, it's, it's all about striving hard to be all God wants me to be. And as Christians, that should be our duty, right? We want to strive to be all he wants us to be through our own self-effort. And we're working on our sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Because we know the most important thing about being a Christian is being close to God, having an intimate relationship with him. And we can't do that with the sin in our lives, right? Because our sin separates us from him, so it only stands to reason we should want to clean ourselves up so we can have an intimate relationship with our God. Well, he soon discovers this isn't all it's crapped up up to be. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, It's not all it's cracked up to be. Whatever. Uh, And so he takes the other road. He goes back and goes down the road to trusting God. Trusting God takes him to the room of grace. The room of grace isn't about striving to be all God wants you to be. It's about living out of who God says I am, and not through self-effort, but humility. And instead of trying to to work on my sins so I can have an intimate relationship with God, it's about standing with God, my sin in front of us, working on it together. It's a whole different way of of looking at things. And we talked about how, you know, if you can imagine that the sin, even though you're a believer, the sin that's still in your life, you know, you can imagine it's like this big heaping pile of trash. And we tend to think of God on the other side of it, and we're on this side, and we're desperately trying to clean up the mess so that we can close that gap between us. But he comes to realize, in reality, because of what Jesus did on the cross, God isn't on the other side of the pile. He's he's right here next to me, his arm around me saying, let's clean this up together. And then the second week, we talked about how we all, as Christians, were were tempted from time to time to, to role play to pretend to be somebody that we're not, to exaggerate things, right? To cover up things, to to wear a mask. And how God designed each and every one of us to to desperately crave intimate relationships in our lives with other people and with God, relationships where we're fully known, even the worst things about us, and yet we're still loved and accepted. 
But see, when we pretend and we hide and we're, we wear these masks, we're not, we're not able to even receive that love. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, they failed. What did they do? They hid from God because of their shame. And we do the very same thing. And it keeps us locked in this cycle of just being beaten down and full of shame and feeling like failures as Christians. I don't know if you've been there. Maybe I'm the only one. But see, I've always heard that being a Christian should be about freedom, right? We should be free in our new life in Christ. In fact, John 8, 36, John records the very words of Jesus here. He says, so if the son, speaking of himself, Jesus if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Freedom, right? Right, my chains are gone. I've been set free. But for some reason, very seldom in my life as a Christian have I felt freedom. In fact, I felt quite the opposite. There's too many Christians in, in my experience in ministry and everything that I've seen, there's so many Christians today that are living lives just in bondage to sin, beaten down, overwhelmed by shame, pretending to be something they're not and afraid to let others see who they really are instead of the freedom that Jesus died to give us. So what's the deal? See, I'm, I'm going to propose tonight that it all starts in our heads. <laughs> you know, like the problem is, is our brains. So much of life is, is mental when you think about it. And it, it's, it's simple, really. It's like there's nothing that you physically do, no act you carry out, no behavior, no habit, no, nothing that doesn't first start with a thought. Even the things that are kind of subconscious, right? It still goes through your brain before it happens on the outside. So, so everything boils down to the way that we think in every area of your life. You, you might recognize this. You know what that's about? I hope you do. First of all, how about those Red Raiders, right? Oh my gosh. We have four people that are so excited. And I'm with you. Man, I cannot wait for this weekend. It's, it's, a, it's about the basketball team, okay, uh, Chris, Chris Beard and his philosophy that he shares with his team. And he's got them completely bought into this thing, four to one. And it, it goes like this. It says, mental is to the physical as four is to one. Four being the mental, one being the physical. Like the game of basketball even is not just about the physical part of the game and talent. And you've seen it over and over with, with this team, especially lately. It's like a lot of times they're outmatched, Right. Maybe they have less talent than some of the other teams, but they're always competing, and more and more recently, they're winning. It's about mental toughness and overcoming adversity, not just on the court, but in life. And, and it's not even about the, the toughness. Like, he's got them so bought into their identity as a team that, you know, not, not just in the game, not in practice, but sun up to sun down, he's got them truly believing in their identity. And what is that? You hear announcers talk about it all the time. It's about their, their toughness and how hard they play. Physical defense, you know, hustle plays, taking charges. Man, they are bought in, and it shows. It, it all starts with the, the way that they think. It's true in basketball. It's true in life. 
It's true in our relationship with Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The way that we think about us might say a whole lot about our view of God. Because the way, the way I grew up and the way I looked at God, most of my life I've believed that. Even though I was a Christian, even though I was saved and I was going to heaven, and even I wasn't so sure about that most of the time, I truly believed that God was constantly disappointed in me and that, that I had changed, right? When I, when I committed my life to Christ, I changed sort of, but I'm still kind of really the same person I was. And I truly believe that God expected me to at least try to fix myself because I was still so messed up and constantly failing over and over again. And so I've been on this journey the last year trying to untangle some of this junk in my head and the way I view myself, the way I view God. And see, when you take that first path to, to pleasing God, the room of good intentions, it's all about trying to change yourself into what you will eventually become. Whereas the second path, trusting God, the, the room of grace, it's about trusting God to mature us into who we already are. And I want to unpack that a little bit tonight. And in this last year, man, there, there have been moments where I've kind of experienced just this feeling of freedom that I'm, I've almost never experienced before. And it's, it's just amazing. As I, I quit striving and I realize I don't have to earn God's anything, right? Because he did it all on the cross, right? And it feels so amazing. And then inevitably, eventually what happens? I screw up. I fail. I fall. I sin. And then I'm right back where I started. And I, I slip back into my old ways of thinking. And so as Christians, when you fail, how do you, how do you deal with that? See, see me, I, I just heap this, this shame upon myself. You know, just every, see everything in life, everything about God through this, this kind of cloud of shame. And when we do that, the, the writer of the book, John Lynch, he, he suggests that a lot of times we actually serve two different gods. We serve the God that we view through our shame. And then there's the God that actually is. Here's a, a little quote from the book. This is speaking of shame. He says it whispers and hisses that no matter what you do, you'll always be defined by what you did or what was done to you. It mocks you. Shame wants you desperately performing for acceptance that you don't even believe you deserve in the first place. Does that sound familiar? And so we begin to form this new version of God as we view him through our own shame. And he continues. He says, we imagine him staring at us with a thin smile and a measured nod. He has to love us, but he's not sure he likes us. His arms are folded. He wears an expression that says, yes, your sins are forgiven. Your ticket is punched for eternity, but you're still the same failure. You had an excuse before, but not anymore. See, our view of God is distorted by our own failure, by our own failed behavior. And we start to believe lies about God. Let me see if these sound familiar to you. Here's some lies we believe. 
as we're viewing God through that cloud of shame. You think God can't satisfy me as much as the sin. I've always been this way. I don't believe he's powerful enough to change that. There's something, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah, my sins are forgiven. I've committed my life to Christ, but I'm still broken. I don't believe God has been fully good to me. I'm going to feel like a failure anyway. I might as well enjoy it, right? And so all these lies are rooted in, in the actual um, permission we give ourselves to fail. We see it as a foregone conclusion. And if you're anything like me as, as a Christian, man, you, you desperately want to do what's right, don't you? Like, you don't, you don't want to keep screwing up. Man, you, you would love to be this, this strong Christian you, you picture in your head. But it's, it's, it's hard to, to make it come to life, especially when we're, we're striving so hard to do it on our own. Why do we keep sinning, man? What's, what's that all about? Paul talks so much about this. I'm going to read first. I'm going to share a lot of these with you tonight. Galatians in chapter 5, he gives us an idea of what's going on. He says, so I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. So, you know, and we commit our life to Christ, right? We put our faith in what he did for us on the cross. We become a Christ follower. We receive the, the Holy Spirit of God. He, he now lives inside of us. That's what he's referencing here. So he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That sounds simple, right? The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Here's the key. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul gets it. He's saying, listen, you can have all the good intentions you want, but on the inside of you, you've got the Holy Spirit of God. And then you've also got a sin nature, right? Because we're born sinful ever since the fall of man. We're cursed with sin. We have a sin nature. We commit a life to Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. And now you've got these two forces inside of you. In every waking hour of your life, every decision you make, every thought you have, those things are constantly at war with each other. And so it's hard to do what's right sometimes. And, and Paul goes on to say, and this is Paul, the, the church planter, right? He, he gave us two-thirds of our New Testament and even Paul, in Romans 7, he goes on and on and on about how he wants so desperately to do what's right, but he doesn't do it. And he wants so desperately to stop doing all the things that he hates, but he can't. And he says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. You know that feeling? He says, who can rescue me from this life of bondage? And he goes on to say, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean for us day to day? Like, how do we get there? How do we practically live that out? What should be the goal in our lives as Christians? Here's what most of us boil it down to, sin management. Sin management. As we try our best, right, to manage our sins as Christians, because we all want to be good Christians. And good Christians... They do these things. 
And they definitely don't do these things, right? I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing that. I got to start doing some of that. When I'm with my Christian friends, I'll do these things. When I'm with my real, regular friends, I can, I can get away with doing that and some of that, and then I'll repent later. And we get in this cycle of trying to live up to that standard that we feel like God is putting before us. We talked about in the first couple of weeks of the series how that becomes like a, this hamster wheel effort of constantly trying desperately to change our behaviors, but constantly failing. It's a demoralizing cycle that we get into. And all the while, we desperately want more of God, don't we? We want to know him more. We want to experience him more. This might shock you. What if I told you you have as much God as you're going to get? You have as much God as you're going to get. But before you get demoralized by that, let me explain what I mean. Like we just talked about, right? When we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we got the Spirit of God that lives in us. And beyond that, when Jesus hung on the cross, you know, and he, he dropped his head, he said, it is finished. All the work was done. Now we have the, the fullness of God that, that lives on the inside of us day in and day out in us. I mean, how much closer to him do we want to get? He is forever fused with us. He, he is on the inside of us, a, a part of us, closer than our skin. But the sad thing is, very few of us ever experience the fullness of who God is. Because we don't allow him to show us. Man, God is with you. He's with you. He, he never moves. He doesn't step away when he's embarrassed of you. He, does, he doesn't hide his face from you. He's with you. He's inside you. He's got so much for you. So much more than we're experiencing right now. We have no idea. Especially, I look at you guys and where you are in your lives. You have everything ahead of you. He has plans for you that would blow your mind if you knew about him. He's desperately wanting to, to show you which way to go. He wants to make your life better. Yes, we have eternity, right? But here and now, he wants to make your life better. He wants to make you better at life. If we'll just allow him to do it. So if... Sin management isn't the goal. Then what should we be after? Like, how, how do we ever experience the fullness of God here on this earth as Christians? It's about maturity. Maturity, right? Maturity says, I'm not desperately trying to go from what I am now to what I should be. Maturity is letting God mature us into what we already are. Let's, let's tease this out a little bit. Second Corinthians, this is Paul again. So we've stopped, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A slightly better person? The same old person with like a new ticket to heaven? 
He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. New. Okay, so that means if you're a Christ follower, you are now the righteousness of Christ. Not, not hopefully someday, right? Not once you get out of college and stop, you know, experiment with things and messing around. No, he's talking about like right now, you are the, the righteousness of Christ. I know that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to us, right? And he takes it even further in Colossians 1. He talks about how we were separated from God like his enemies, yet God, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, he, he reconciled us to himself, and now we, now, now we as Christians, we stand before God holy and blameless without a single fault. Now. How crazy is that? Not, not hopefully someday, not one, once we get to heaven and we're made perfect. He's saying now, because we are now the righteousness of Christ. See, this is why grace is just so scandalous. It's like so hard to comprehend. But it's what makes grace, grace. Grace is something you, you can't possibly earn. You, you definitely don't deserve it, right? But my whole life, everything you, you think about, like this, the principle of life, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. So grace to us doesn't make sense that we could simply put our faith in, in someone who rose from the dead. And now we are credited the righteousness of Christ. Simply blows my mind. So how do we do it? He tells us, Ephesians chapter four, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, here's the key, <laughs> throw off your old sinful nature. Remember, we talked about the two natures at war with each other. He's like, it's easy. Throw off the sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Guys, this is so huge. He's saying there wasn't some kind of magic trick that happened when you committed your life to Christ and boom, you're, you're perfect all of a sudden and you're going to be this perfect Christian the rest of your life. He's saying you still have that sin nature. You've got the spirit of God in you. He's saying you have an active role to play day by day by day. He's saying throw off your sinful nature and let the spirit make your behaviors perfect. <laughs> no. It's back to, to our thoughts. He says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Create it to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on your new nature. Let God change the way you think. Guys, this is a choice that you have to make every single day. Like, just like you get up in the morning, you put your pants on. Like, what if you forgot to put your pants on every day? Like, how, how you'd, be, you'd be in some trouble, right? We, we have a role to play in this. We have to, to every day make a decision. Throw off our sinful nature. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was. You, you put on your new 
nature. And it may be a daily thing, it may be an hourly thing, whatever it takes, we have to retrain ourselves the way we think because it changes everything else. Put on your new nature. Let him change the way you think. Let him change your attitudes. And see, the cool thing about it is this is, this is exactly the way that God designed us to be. I was uh, listening to a podcast this week, and it's Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast because I'm a nerd. And uh, he had a guy on there. His name was James Clear, and he wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And it was so fascinating as, as I'm you know, studying to, to share this with you. And I'm hearing some things he's saying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like it's all connected because he's making the point that what we believe to be true about ourselves says everything about what our behaviors are going to be. And he uses this example. It's so clear to me. Once, once you hear it, you're like, of course. But like, let's say you made a goal that you wanted to lose some weight. We've all been there, right? We want to lose some weight. And let's say you made a goal. I'm going to lose 40 pounds in six months. Okay, you have a drastic goal. What's the first thing you do? All right, we've got to make a plan. I've got to change the way I eat a lot, right? So maybe you do like a, a, like a radical juice cleanse, you know, or like a diarrhea cleanse is what it's also known as, right? Uh, maybe you're like, man, I've got to work out. So this is what I do. Like you just go, I'm going hard after working out, right? I'm going to do P90X or you go do a CrossFit thing. So you can throw up and feel bad about yourself all the time. And what happens? You end up getting burned out or you get hurt. And you slowly fizzle out and you're right back where you started. And you're like, I knew this would happen. See, his point is we shouldn't start by saying, I want to lose 40 pounds. We should start with the question. What kind of person loses 40 pounds? Who's the type of person that can lose 40 pounds? Because instead of thinking, well, once I, once I follow the steps, then I'll be the person I want to be. He says, no, you need to invert that process. You need to say, okay, I want to be the person, right? I want the identity of the person I want to be. And then how does that change my behaviors? So what kind of person loses 40 pounds? Well, maybe it's somebody that doesn't miss workouts. Okay, well, how do I become someone that doesn't miss workouts? Well, maybe you do five push-ups a day. You start there. Maybe you go to the gym every day and you stay for five minutes. You get on the treadmill for five minutes and you go home. And what happens is you don't see results right away, right? Your, your scale isn't moving. You're not looking in the mirror and seeing changes instantly. But what it's doing, it's reinforcing the identity that you are a person that doesn't miss workouts. And his studies have shown this makes drastic improvements on the success of people trying to change their habits, trying to change their lifestyle. If you change the way you see yourself, slowly but surely, your thoughts, your attitudes, your behaviors, your habits start to change with them. It's true in life, and it's oh so true in our relationship with Jesus. Here's the bottom line. What you believe to be true about yourself will shape your life, your behaviors, and your habits. What, what do you believe to be true about yourself? Failure? I'm going to screw it up again. 
I'll never get there. Man, we, we've got to start putting on our new nature. We have to stop focusing on just simply trying to curb our behaviors and start living out of what God says is already true about us because of the faith that we put in Jesus. Another quote from the book. He says, now we're free. We're free. When I depend on the new creature I've been made into, made into through the work of Jesus at the cross, I begin to live healthier, more free of sin, more free to love. I learn to believe all his power, love, truth, and goodness are already inside of me right now. I am not who I was, even on my worst day. Listen, you aren't who you were, even on your worst day. You're not who you were. You're not what you did. You're not what was done to you. You're not who you were, even on your worst day. In fact, I want to do something. I believe there's power when we say things out loud. So I want you to say this, this with me. Repeat after me. Whether you believe it or not yet, doesn't matter. Ready? Say it with me. I am not who I was. Even on my worst day. I'm a new creation. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm without fault. I'm not who I was. Even on my worst day. That's why it's such good news. Romans 12, as we close this out. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but here it is again. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Transform. Let him transform you. He, this is a very purposeful word. It comes from a Greek verb that, comes, that we get our word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis. Which simply means just to, to mature into something over time that you already are. Example, what's that? It's not a big, fat, nasty worm, okay? It's, it's a caterpillar. We know that. What if we took this to a biologist and we asked him to analyze it, run tests on it, look at the DNA of it? What would he say? He might say something like this. I know it looks like a caterpillar to you, but scientifically, according to all the tests, including DNA, this is a butterfly. It doesn't look like a butterfly. It doesn't act like a butterfly. But given the opportunity, given the time, 
it will eventually transform into what it was all along. What good would it do to chastise and berate and to put down this poor little guy for not looking and acting like a butterfly? But yet, given the opportunity, this is where he's headed. He just needs time to mature. So it is with you and I. God has put it in our DNA, our spiritual DNA, that we are the righteousness of Christ. We may not instantly look like it or talk like it or act like it, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. Given the time, we will mature if we let him mature us. Jesus talks about it in that, you know, you've heard about the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's the vine. We're the, we're the branches. We are, we are connected with him. We are in him. He is in us. And his father, our heavenly father, is the gardener. And he prunes those things out of our life that don't bear fruit. With a little snip, snip. He'll convict us of sin. He might snip here and snip there. He'll let us experiences, experience the consequence of our own stupid actions sometimes, right? Sometimes he might discipline us just like any good parent would because he loves us so much. And slowly but surely, our outside starts to look more and more like the inside. But we need the time and we need him to, we need to allow God to mature us in his time and in his way. Instead of wasting our time being so concerned with faking our way through Christianity, just be yourself with him. Let him do what he needs to do. There's no need to pretend. So here's your new reality tonight. I've been changed into a new creature. I'm joined with Jesus for eternity. He loves me and enjoys me. And he is maturing me in his way, in his time. So the challenge related to it, put on your new nature. Just like you put your pants on in the morning. Put on your new nature. Throw off your sinful nature. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. It's not just semantics. It's identity. It's identity. It's who you are. So we're going to do it again. We're going to read it together. You ready? Let's go. I am the righteousness of Christ. He is maturing me day by day. I trust him. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Just trust him. Trust him. I want to ask you guys to stand. If you would just close your eyes. <laughs> and as much as you can right now, in a room full of people, just, just get alone with him. In your own heart and mind, just get alone with God 
and just lay yourself out there. God, here I am. I know he's dealing with some of you. I know he's bringing up painful things that you've carried your whole life. And he's saying, you don't have to carry it anymore. You weren't meant to carry it. Jesus died for it. And I don't know if you're here and you don't know if you're a follower of Christ. You don't know if you've ever committed your life to him. Man, God is desperately pursuing you. He wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to make your life better. He wants to make you better in life. He wants to mature you. And he wants to lead you into such beautiful places. But you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision to put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And as he put your sin upon himself, he died. He rose again. Now you have the opportunity to be reconciled with God through trusting in that payment of your fine. Man, do that tonight. Don't waste another second. Guys, how much different would our lives be if we truly believed what was true about us? How much different would our behaviors be? How much different would our relationships be? How much more could we, could we do for the kingdom of God? If we only knew who we were, what if God took away any element of fear or condemnation or rejection? What if he told you there are no lists or logs of past offenses of how little you pray or how often you've let him down or how often you've made promises you didn't keep? What if he told you you're actually righteous right now? What if he told you you can stop beating yourself up, that you can just be yourself and stop being so formal and stiff around him? What if you knew that if Jesus is your savior, you're going to heaven no matter what. It's a done deal. What if you knew that you have a new nature, that you're a saint, not just a saved sinner? What if you knew he actually lives in you now? His love, power, and nature are at your disposal. What if you knew that you never have to put on a mask, that you don't need to pretend you can be exactly who you are right now at this moment with all your junk and not have to pretend how close you are to him, how much you pray, or how much Bible you read? What if you knew the basis of your relationship with him isn't how little you sin, but how much you allow him to love you? What if you had his permission to stop trying to impress him in any way? What if you knew you could hurt his heart, but he would never hurt yours? What if he told you that he's absolutely crazy about you, that he loves you, and will always love you and that there's nothing you can do to make his love go away. What if? God, I pray that you would help us to throw off our old sinful nature, that we would put on our, our new nature every single day. We would live out of who you say we are. We would stop wasting our lives striving 
to try to earn your approval, to try to earn your love. God, let us just live in the freedom of who you are and what you've done for us. And we know, God, that you're going to convict us and you're going to lead us step by step by step. And we know you have beautiful plans for our lives. And we desperately want to get there. So God, I pray that we would live to trust you. That we would live out of the reality of who you say we are. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much and that you've given us such just ridiculous grace and mercy. God, we don't want to squander that. So we choose to live for you and to live in you.